Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sadak, TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds, and you're up for Late Night Reds Talk. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to Late Night Reds Talk Live, part of the Believe Podcast Network, sponsored by Bet Online. My name is Nick Kirby, and I will be your host this evening. I'm filling in hosting duties for Tim Daniel, who is out covering the NKU basketball game tonight. I don't think we give Tim's uh, other venture enough credit on this show. Uh, If you're not aware, Tim runs the 48 Minutes Basketball Network. Uh, They cover the NBA from a Cincinnati perspective, and they're also credentialed media members for all the local college basketball teams, Xavier, NKU, and UC. Uh, So make sure you check that out. Tim has all that information on his Twitter account. Uh, we've got a lot of interesting Reds news to cover tonight. I'm joined by my guy Carlos Guevaro, as well as Clay Snowden of JustBaseball.com and Bryce Spalding. Uh, Clay has been on the show several times before, and we are excited to have him back on. Uh, this is Bryce's second time joining the show, and we're eager to have him back on as well. Uh, Clay and Bryce will later in the show give us some good insight into the Reds' recent 40-man roster additions. But before we get started, I want to tell you a quick word about our sponsor. Bet Online is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number 1 spot for all the basketball and football action this season. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. Bet online where the game starts. All right, let's go and get started tonight. Probably the biggest story this week around the Reds was Ken Rosenthal reported that it's doubtful, that was his exact words, that Luis Castillo will be traded this offseason. Uh, we previously saw reports that the Reds were you know, shopping and listening to offers. You know, teams linked like the Mariners and the Dodgers to Castillo. But Rosenthal's reporting that it's doubtful. So, uh, you know, Rosenthal's a pretty respected reporter. Uh, so, interesting to see those words. Kind of interesting. I want to hear everyone's take on that. Carlos, what was your thoughts uh, when you saw that it was doubtful that Castillo will be traded this offseason? I don't know. I always take everything with a you know with a grain of salt, even if it's coming from someone as you know sourced as as Ken Rosenthal. It's the offseason. Who knows, you know, who's playing which pawn and, and you know, just trying to get stuff out there. Yeah, I still think he's out there. Uh I think he's still available. It kinda it helps ease it a little bit, you know. I think I joked with um with C Trip, whenever he put that out there, said he saved Christmas for Reds fans at least. Yeah, Bryce, what did you think about that news? Yeah, um, I thought it was doubtful in, in the first place. Anyway, I mean, they would be dumb not to listen. Just at least see what you can get, see what you 
can offer. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not really surprising to me. Uh, not not a lot of teams are are willing to part ways with big league ready guys and prospects in order to get a guy like Castillo. So I don't blame the Reds for for shopping, but I also am glad that they stuck firm to a high price tag while in the talks. Clay. Yeah, it really wasn't the best market to trade Castillo either with just the amount of free agent starting pitchers available right now and um, kind of high-end ones too. Um, you know, a lot of teams are going to be willing to just pay several extra million dollars than give up um, a large portion of their of their future. So, I mean, good on the Reds for just seeing if there's anybody who will overpay, I guess, but – at the end of the day, a lot of these teams that need a starting pitcher, they they can just sign one. Yeah, it kind of comes back to you know what we had been kind of talking about, you know, all off season so far is, you know, the Reds were just gauging offers for him. That doesn't mean he's going to be traded. For the second year in a row, it looks like everyone is freaked out about a John Heyman tweet about Luis Castillo for absolutely no good reason. Um, you know, I think they put him out there to see, you know, what they could get. And they had an exorbitant asking price and no team is willing to meet that. You know, like, like Bryce said, teams just don't want to give away prospects. You know, there's too many teams that have been burned by the, the Chris Archer deal where, you know, you, you pay for that for years to come. So good on the Reds for listening. I think, you know, Ken Rosenthal, if I feel like Ken Rosenthal is, you know, saying that it is doubtful that he's, traded i mean i legitimately think it's doubtful that that he's going to be traded if like rosenthal's a pretty legit source from 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 previous history and you know the the wording the way he said it my takeaway is that means where the reds are at and where teams are willing to get is just such a big gap that it, it's probably not going to happen maybe there's a team that just completely changes course and says hey we've got to get this guy we've got to go and they they blow away the reds and the reds should listen to that and see if that's the best the best move for the next, um, you know, four or five years. But, you know, I think it's good that the, the asking price is high because that's, that's I think, the biggest thing that, that this, this signifies, at least to me. Uh, the other kind of big news is uh, the 40-man the additions. The Reds uh, added Hunter Green to no surprise. Uh, hopefully I don't butcher any of these names. Alexis Diaz, uh, Alan Serta. Uh, Daniel Duarte and James Marion to the 40 man roster to be protected from the rule five draft. Bryson Clay specifically wanted to have, have these guys on, you know, because of, you know, the, the five prospects that were added. Uh, Bryce, wh- which of these guys kind of stand out to you? Was there anyone that kind of stood out to you as kind of surprising they were added um, or, or anyone that, you know, you think maybe the Reds made a mistake not putting on the 40 man? No, I, I dug in a little bit more into each of these guys. I'm, I'm happy with just about all of them. Duarte is one that is kind of odd. I mean, but it never hurts to have another arm. Um, he, he did pitch in double-A, triple-A. He's been around to, I believe, KC and San Diego as well. So um, he's been around a little bit. I'm sure he knows how to pitch, and he had, he had pretty good numbers overall. I think he had like a 4-5 ERA, around like 45 to 50 innings out of the bullpen this year. So um it definitely doesn't hurt uh, i mean it's probably more just protection just in case injuries or whatever it may be but yeah um obviously the ones that stand out are, are green and serta uh two guys that that are high level prospects in my opinion obviously hunter green is a top 15 to 20 prospect in all of baseball and 
put up ridiculous numbers all year and, and it doesn't feel like he should be rule five ready already, but um, that, that year of injury in 19 kind of uh, set him back just a bit, but yeah, um, happy with that. I think he's going to come in and, and probably make an impact on the big league roster next year and in one way or another. And so the other four guys are, are probably a little bit further away, started finish his year in high a uh, more than likely we start the year in double a, but he's the type of guy that's kind of the Jose Siri type where you, you will look down the road in two or three years and he's made a big league roster and he's hitting fifth or sixth in the playoffs. And you're like, wow, I really wish we could have kept that guy. So he's not a bad guy to keep around. If he's on the 40 man, he's a, he's a good athlete, somebody that could possibly come up and make an impact with, with the stick or, or in play good defense and then hit a couple home runs. But yeah, um, I don't have any issues with it. I think they, they did a good job of keeping the guys they needed to keep. There's nobody that I was like, wow, I can't believe they didn't protect him or whatever it may be. So. Clay Snowden, uh, who brings a fan club with him to the show, <laughs> as you see the comment if you're watching on the, the live stream from our, our friends over at uh, Pardon the Punctuation. Clay, what's your thoughts on uh, yeah. how these movies? Um I'm going to be pretty long-winded on this, so Carlos, just sit back and relax, but – Problem, um, I'll go in order of who I like. So first off, Hunter Green. We all know everything there is to know about Hunter Green. A lot of people just, for whatever reason, pencil him into the starting rotation on opening day, and I don't see that at all. I do think he'll be a red in 2022, but I think he goes back to AAA. He dominated AA, uh, 1.98 ERA, 2.35 FIP, 13.17 Ks per nine. So, I mean, he was just really good. That's 60 Ks in 41 innings. Went up to AAA and in 65 innings, 79 strikeouts. So that was still there. 3.44 walks per nine, 413 ERA. And it's a, still a small sample size, but anyone who watched Hunter Green and anyone who throws, you know, 103, 105 miles per hour knows that if it gets hit, it's going to get hit really, really hard. And, um, his fastball, although it's extremely fast, it's a little bit flat. Um, and I'm not saying that as like a, you know, me saying Hunter Green's not good. Um, just baseball has him as the number 15 prospect in all of baseball, one spot actually behind Nick Lodolo, who's at 14. 22 years old. I just don't want to see them rush him if they don't have to. So I'd like to see him um, at least get a few starts in, in AAA to start the year and just see how he, he's been doing. But, yeah, it's really the secondary offerings with Green that I want to see a little bit of improvement from. Alan Surt is a guy that I'm very high on. Um, number 98 on just baseball's top 100 in all of baseball. I think he's number 17 on Pipeline's just Reds prospects. So just baseball is pretty high on him. And I've watched a lot of him, and he does have some swing and miss to his game, but it's that power that's just really, really exciting. Um. Like Bryce said, he's his highest level was high A, which he had three home runs, um, 273, 356, 519. The majority of the year was in low A, where he had 14 home runs, but a 30.8% strikeout rate, uh, 242, 362, 524. Uh, I think he can play center field if that's what they want to try to give him some the majority of the innings in this year and right field. Um, and, you know, with the 40-man roster, I feel like a lot of people kind of assume they're added to the 40-man roster. That means we're going to see them this year. And that's not true at all. 
Um, this is simply a protection for these players to not get picked in the Rule 5 draft. So I think Surter will still spend the entire year in, in the minors unless, you know, he's just out of this world good. Um, but, yeah, I, I really, really like Alan Surter, and especially because a lot of these, not a lot, but other outfield prospects in the red system that are highly regarded either or mu- much younger in terms of just, I shouldn't say younger, really it's just further away than Serta or like a Michael Ciani who just really struggled last year with the injury season and um, needs a bounce back. So Serta has a pretty clear path to being on the Reds roster in the near future. The other one, Alexis Diaz, he was really good in double A this year, 42.1 innings pitched 14.88 K per nine. Now, of course that also comes with, with so many of these strikeout pitchers, a four, two, five walks per nine kind of a three-fourths arm slot. It's kind of interesting. He almost has like, I wouldn't say like a hitch, but there's just something about his delivery that's a little bit different, that's um, difficult to pick up on. And his ball just has a lot of late movement to it, which causes so many of those swing and misses. So he's definitely a guy that I could see um, starting in AAA, or, I mean, they could put him back in AA, but I'd rather see him in, in AAA. And then actually earning some time in the bullpen for the Reds, of course, he needs to work on his control a little bit, but overall, I the I was I was telling them before the show today, I watched about 15 innings of his, and one game I watched, he struck out all six batters that he faced. Struck out Brennan Davis, who's like a top 15 prospect in all of baseball for the Cubs. Um, so he looked really good. James Marinan was a starter. He was acquired in the Dylan Florio trade with the Dodgers a few years back, and I mean, I was kind of, I wouldn't say I'm surprised that they protected him, but um, not exactly a guy that I was crazy about. Um, I want to go all, over all the stats. And Duarte is a guy that also was in like a Me- the Mexican league and, and pitching in some other, you know, offseason ball and really did not pitch much in the Reds organization this year. But um, at the very least, it's just another arm that they have as an option. Sad note on uh, James Marin there. Um, he's actually pitching the Arizona Fall League right now and was the starter for the All-Star game, actually. So had a really good uh, ending to his 2021 year. Uh, pitched really well towards the end of the season in high A. So I think they more project him to be – he was a, a top-10 prospect for the Dodgers whenever they did acquire him. So um, I think they kind of project him to be more of a – not a, probably mid-level, low-level starter uh eventually so um, as you were kind of saying clay i think that's probably why they did protect him there he's he could very well be this year's riley o'brien um type of pitcher who's just kind of on the 40 man in case they need a starter but they're really not um expecting him to impact the team unless everything goes wrong carlos is uh hunter green on the opening day roster no like like Clay said that he, he needs to work. I mean, a few clips that I did see of him is, you know, his fastball is straight. Uh, you've, you've heard that from, you know, other players as well saying that his secondary pitches, I, I, I don't know. I just know that curveball that I saw in spring training and I saw in the middle of the year, they didn't, they didn't have much to it. They still have him for <laughs> plenty of years and take advantage with a starting pitcher as young as him. Yeah. And there's just no reason to, pencil them or back themselves into a corner and say he has to be on the opening day roster. Right. You know, I know fans are going to want that because 
Right now, Reds fans are hungry for something to cheer for. Well, if he's on and, the opening day roster, more than likely he's not going to be on the playoff roster. So right. It's kind of like – There's I mean, absolutely nothing wrong with him starting in the minors. Like that's not even necessarily like the whole – well, with the new CBA, who knows, but the whole you know old adage of – you know, they're just trying to manip- manipulate his contract. And no, um, I don't think that's even going to be the case with him if he does not make the opening day roster. And I know I think I've said it on this podcast before, but um, I think Nick Lodolo's further along. And I think Nick Lodolo could make the opening day roster or is more likely to. And although his ceiling's not as high, um, I think his floor may be even the same, if not higher than Hunter Green. And Arm Layton, the founder of Just Baseball, actually interviewed some players that faced both of them in double A this year and said that Lodolo was actually harder to hit, even though Green, his numbers are, are just absurd. They just said that Lodolo stuff was harder to pick up. And I think it's kind of like what Carlos and I have been saying is 103 is tough to see, but if you can hit it and when it's straight, you know, as you advance up the leagues, they're going to be a little bit better at at hitting that ball. So um, the secondary pitchers are going to improve his fastball, which is what he needs to work on, in my opinion. Yeah, and even without watching him pitch, just, you know, some of the innings that they, they would – or some of his games that they would flash up there on the screen, you know, like five and a third, five strikeouts. And I'm like, why is he only striking out five guys throwing 100 miles an hour? Like, that's – that doesn't add up in AAA. You get too many guys that'll go out of their zones, try to do too much. It's too easy to pitch at AAA to be, I don't know, striking out that few amount of people whenever you throw that hard. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, this is years ago. I actually asked Chris Vileka how it was hitting against Aroldis Chapman. And, um, you know, this is a guy, Chris Vileka, who played in the major leagues and, you know, was fine, but. His answer was his approach was just to pick a spot in the zone and swing and hope that that's where the ball was. <laughs> and I was like, is this, I mean, maybe he wasn't being serious, but at the same time, I was kind of like, I'm sure some of these like younger players are not used to seeing this type of speed. Like it may not be that far off. I trust Derek Johnson on if, if Hunter Green's ready or not. I have no hot take on it. If he says he's ready, he's ready. If he doesn't, he doesn't. My question for you, Carlos, is what would be the downside of of Hunter Green being on the opening day roster, even if it's kind of a maybe a coin flip if he's ready or not? I mean, other than I don't think that they would stretch him out to be available to pitch late in September, you know, because he's never thrown that many innings. That's going to be a lot of innings unless they're planning on doing like a six man rotation or you know sending him down for a month just so he can you know keep the innings limit down, but. I don't really see a downside other than he's just not ready. Yeah, and, and we've seen that across the MLB. Ask Tigers fans, you know, Casey Mize, we saw it. He was throwing, what, a no-hitter against the Reds and got pulled in the third or fourth inning. They were doing that all year with their young pitchers trying to to just limit them um, to make sure that they could go the entire season. So I, I really don't think Reds fans would like to just see Hunter Green for three or four innings. You know, I, I think you might as well just let him work on his secondary stuff, you know, be ready to be an MLB pitcher. There's no reason. The Reds are not Baltimore. You know, we don't need to have players developing at the major league level right now. Yeah. Um, if they trade away some players and 
they go that direction, then that's a, dip, a different conversation. But right now the Reds are good enough and can still add to the point that you don't need to be developing at the MLB level. The other interesting story that I saw this week was, was there was a flurry of, of moves around baseball. We're obviously not going to cover every single player that was signed by every other team because, frankly, oh, come on, Nick. frankly, I don't really care. But Andrew Heaney was a really interesting one. He ended up signing for the Dodgers for $8.5 million. Uh, but but our, our friend of the show, uh, uh, Ginger Source Rex on Twitter, if you're not following, uh, my, my, my dude is just on top of everything. Like, I, I literally, if I miss a day of, of Reds, miss a day or two of kind of following what's going on with the Reds, I, I pull up his feed because he is on top of everything. Well, love his stuff. But he pointed out an article from, from Bobby Nightingale where he heard from a source that the Reds had an offer around $4 million for Heaney, which you see, well, he ended up signing for $8.5 million. But But the, the source apparently said that that was one of the higher offers. So I, I just I found that interesting that the Reds, you know, after essentially dumping whatever Miley, you know, were, were willing to, you know, spend around $4 million for a, another starting pitcher, kind of a pitcher that, a lot of people think has a lot of upside, but is clearly a, a, a high risk pitcher. Um, did you guys have any, Carlos? Did you think it was interesting that the Reds were in on Heaney? And and you know when you from sources, this could be manipulated sources that are you know trying to spin things one way or the other. I, no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, four million seems about about right. I, I mean, to feel like eight and a half is a lot um, for him, but which. The thing that I took away from it was like, man, they could have got Wade Miley for another million and a half, but they chose to go this route instead. So that kind of tells you a lot about that Wade Miley market. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, that that's something I found interesting. The other thing that I found interesting was it kind of hurts the narrative that the Reds are just going to do everything to cut salary because you're not adding Andrew Heaney at 4 million. If you're just at all costs trying to cut, cut salary. So I think in that, in, in that terms, it's at least a positive that, okay, they're open to spending, you know, um, it, it is never going to be what I think Reds fans want. Uh, but, but they're definitely is at least, you know, they're looking at players like this. So, I don't even really look at it as Andrew Heaney, whether he's a good fit or not a good fit. I, I just thought, man, they were willing to pay $4 million for a guy that is a, a, a high risk, but high reward. Man, that's great. I, I love that. I think that is at least maybe a positive sign for the future. Um, but yeah, this is what the Dodgers do. You know, they, they um, pick up these guys. Like they did the same thing with Blake Trinan. Remember he was coming off um, an injury, super high risk. I think they paid him about 10 million. Like, I don't, no one was even going to come close to that. But the Dodgers, you know, hey, it doesn't work out. Just, you know, whatever, not a big deal. Team like the Reds, man, you go eight and a half million, even if you do expand your payroll quite a bit, and he's a bust. I mean, that's uh that's a really tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and one thing that I actually noticed about this, and to keep in mind with the Dodgers, and it's the same thing with the Scherzer Turner trade. Other teams could have given up better prospect packages. The Dodgers said, we will pay the entire salary. The Dodgers are going to overpay for certainty. And what the certainty is in this case is 
a guy who has innings under his belt at the MLB level who they think has, you know, enough on, on in terms of talent that they can kind of fix some of the numbers. So even if, you know, he, his market probably would have been around four to six million, but the Dodgers said, okay, well, we want some depth and we want somebody who we think we can mold. We will pay the extra two million that others pro- probably want. But when I was when I was looking into this, I thought about some of the pitchers that are going off the market right now before the CBA and before any big names. And the three that have really gone off the market are Eduardo Rodriguez, Heaney, and Jose Quintana was also just signed by the Pirates. And one thing that all of them have in in common is their expected ERA is much better than their actual ERA. So for Rodriguez, he's a really solid pitcher. And I love that signing by Detroit. You get somebody who's been very consistent his whole career. And if anyone just looks at his ERA from last year, 474, you're going to say, okay, well, he's a back end of the rotation guy. 3.50 expected ERA. Keenly, um, 5.83 ERA and was disastrous in New York. 404 expected ERA. Another guy who you could put at the end of your rotation and if you're getting a four era there that that's a you know a pretty good spot and quintana was a six four three era but expected 509 for i think he was like a million dollars or something for the pirates so um right now the market looks to be teams spending a little bit on some guys that have experience that they think that they can mold into a better pitcher than what they were last year. So to me, it's kind of those mid-level type players. I, I think Rodriguez is a little bit higher than that, but um, that's kind of what's going right now. So it's going to be, you know, interesting to see if that trend continues where some of these experienced players who teams think they can get more out of get picked up or if, you know, so, so, so some of these like ace-like or number two guys get picked up soon. I was going to say a common theme with, with these guys as well is, is, as Clay was talking about, the expected numbers are always better and contact and, and those type of things are always a, a positive as well. But a common trend amongst MLB teams is spin rate as well. All, all three of those guys spin the ball really well, uh, high-level spin, fastball, curveball, whatever it may be. And and that's a, a big thing as well. Like Guys like Derek Johnson who who are, are big into that and big into the analyticals and and thinking that they can tweak one thing or another. And like you said, Clay, get that expected ERA and, and maybe get a guy that's a 5-1 or a 5-2 ERA guy into a, a solid 4-4 or 4-3 guy because we know how valuable those guys are and that, that's what wins you regular season games and, and keeps you into the playoff race. So, um, But like you're saying, like Rodriguez is a little bit higher level. That's why he got that, that $74 million or $74 million, whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, it's good to see the Reds kind of making an effort to, to, to do that because if you can get a guy like Keeney, who's going to put up probably similar numbers to Miley next year, uh, that's kind of what everything points towards. And for $6 million less, that's something that they need to continue to look for. Yeah. I think you're also seeing that in a lot of cases, teams are more willing to take on a player that that had maybe has that higher upside even with the risk than to make a trade where you give away big prospects um, or you make a signing that is uh, multiple years for a pitcher. Um, 
because that's you know that that's you know we saw that with with Homer Bailey. You know, I was a guy who supported the Homer Bailey deal, but it, it didn't work out. But it could really you know it can really you know cripple you in some some aspects if you you miss on those. Um, and you know, pitchers get hurt. It's uh, just a reality of it. So I think that that kind of also maybe, you know, comes into play in this. One of the other interesting things uh, is uh, Reaver San Martin, who has just been dominating in the uh, Dominican Winter League, kind of took the Reds organization by storm uh, this year. Uh, 16 innings, hasn't allowed a run. This is a guy who's not even on the Reds top 30 prospect list. But hey, he's 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 having a lot of success. Do Carlos, we'll start with you. Do you think that that San Martin has any chance of of either making the Reds rotation next year? Uh, I know they said they will give him a chance, but you kind of say that for a lot of players. I don't think so. I mean, this six, sixteen innings is is cool. I mean, it's against you know, a little bit below AAA competition. I mean, I don't think he can do anything out of spring good enough to make the squad, but I think he can be somebody who can be reliable to call up on, you know, somebody gets hurt or, you know, we need an extra starter for whatever reason, a double header or something. I think he's a good option to have. Um, just haven't seen enough of him to really, to really be able to give a prediction um, from what we saw last year. It was good. He threw strikes. Um, seems to be doing well, throwing a lot of strikes right now in winter ball as well, but, to have any real shot, uh, the answer for me is no. Clay, you think any? Yeah, um, he's a guy that I've liked for a while, and I've been following quite a bit. And um, I wrote an article about four Reds players not in the top 30, and he was on there, and I really took a deeper dive into him. And I think long-term, um, he could be a good bullpen piece, especially with that arm slot being – so unique and left-handed you just would love to have that if he can throw strikes consistently out of the bullpen but right now i just want to see him be better than the jeff hoffman's the jose de leon's the kind of you know sixth seventh starter in your depth so when you do have an injury or you know somebody struggles or gets traded you don't have to have someone come up who is you know the fans are already saying, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a loss and um, things like that. So, yeah, I think he could start in AAA if they want to keep him stretched out to be a starter and just be that starting depth. I mean, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that that would be a great plan. If they do move him to the bullpen, I'm fine with that, too. I I, I just think he's a good asset to have. He's already on the 40-man. So, I mean, yeah, I don't really have much more to say about him. Bryce, what's your thoughts on uh, San Martin? Yeah, I mean, like Carlos said, it's always a positive when a young guy comes up and throws strikes. Uh, it's always a kind of wild card at times, but it's nice to have that guy as a kind of a throw in in that. That I think it was the Gray deal, was it not? Um, so yeah, I mean, if you can get that guy and, and he can give you any type of valuable innings at the major league level, that's something that you take and run with. So. It's good to see him continue to have success. He had a really good year once he got called up to AAA. I think he went eight and two in AAA, then went two and zero in the big. So um, his confidence is probably sky high right now. And like like Carlos said, I don't expect him to come in, and he's not going to wow you. He's low nineties, and 
doesn't have a, a great second or third offering. But if he can come in, throw strikes, and get outs, I mean, he's probably the second or third best left-handed option out of the bullpen uh, just just by throwing the ball over the plate. <laughs> yeah, that Sunday Gray trade worked out pretty well for the Reds. I can't remember who the GM was that, that made that deal. <laughs> I'll have to do some research, but I don't know. Seems like a pretty good trade. Um, I don't know if you're if you're banking on San Martin to be a starter next year, we have a problem. I mean, that's kind of how I view it. But like you guys said, you can't have enough six, seven, eight, nine, ten in your your depth into AAA starters because uh, I've said it before on here. The Reds really, for all the position player injuries they had, they really got blessed with health with their starting rotation. And you can't bank on that every year. Um, so you're going to need these guys. And, and you know, like what, what Clay said about, like, the arm slot and maybe a little bit more um, uh, deception that he has might kind of play into him coming up and making spot starts. You know, he's kind of that 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 guy that, <laughs> that we always see with the Reds. It's probably all in our heads more than it actually is. But the guy we see with the Pirates that comes up and just we've never heard of that dominates just, you know, the random – I feel like Sam Martin could maybe be that guy the other way. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Hey, a quick question for the pitcher of the group, Carlos. When someone has an arm slot like that, how much can that make up for maybe if they don't have as much <laughs> movement on their ball or they don't have, you know, it's not as fast. It's it's a two, you know, two miles, three miles per hour slower. I would just think not only is it something that, it's just different for the hit- hitters to see, but it also would take them more than one pitch to adjust to. Like if he comes out of the bullpen. Yeah. Right? Well, the first, the first couple of times, you know, through, through teams, it would be an adjustment. They, you know, get used to it. There'd be enough, you know, video for them to know what's coming and they can, you know, they can take, they can a lot from an arm slot from, from watching video. These guys are that good, but it's, it, it can separate you pretty good from others, you know, especially the fact that he doesn't, you know, throw that hard either. Right. Like what does he top out at? Like 92. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's almost like good now because you don't want to be in the 93 to 96 because everybody's doing that. So you want to be above it or you want to be below it. And the fact he's got that arm slot too, that's, I mean, I think that's a two, two positives right there for him. So Clint Frazier, DFA'd by the Yankees. This is a guy that I know has been linked to the Reds quite a bit um, throughout the years. Not at this level. Not, it, it was, you know, like giving up Luis Castillo, uh, which obviously is not the case now. He was DFA'd. There's been a couple other guys that were DFA'd. Um, Harold Ramirez, um, Wade from the, the Yankees that have already actually been traded. The Yankees have, I believe, 10 days to make a deal um, before he would go through the waiver process. But, man, he's a guy that I would love for the Reds to make a move. Um, definitely one of these low-risk, high-reward, because he's only costing about $2 million. I don't think you're going to have to give up a, a massive prospect to make a deal with the Yankees. From, like what from would it 20, take, like a top 15, a top 30? I mean, I think you're, you're, I think you're towards the bottom of the top 30 prospects. I, I just – I mean, if, if you're DFAing a guy, I can't – Yeah. If you get to this point, you know, you would have made a trade before, I would think, right? Unless I'm, I'm missing something. I think, you know, you don't want to have to have a guy actually be DFA'd. You want to make a trade before you get to that point, I would think, is, is yeah. you know, 
because it doesn't really look great for the Yankees to DFA a guy that they, you know, um, was he was the big return for Andrew Miller um, yeah. when Andrew Miller was a big, big, big uh, acquisition. So, you know, that's kind of humbling to have to you know DFA that guy. It almost would be similar to like if the Reds ever got to a point where like they had to. Maybe not as bad, but like Nick Senzel, we're ways away from that. But that I think that could be like a couple of years if Senzel kept going like down this trajectory. That kind of would be where where he's at right now. But but yeah, I love Frazier. This is a guy from eighteen to twenty was almost as good of a hitter as Jesse Winker. I mean, there's just so much talent. Last year he just was hurt and uh, never could could get it going and had some beef with the Yankees. Reds have had some success taking a guy that had beef with the Yankees and, you know, getting him to Cincinnati. Um, he's a really bad defender, which I don't love. Because that's Fits right in. Love. That's the thing I've been harping on all offseason. But it, it's just, man, this 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 kind of player that just could, could fall in your lap. I don't know. What do you guys have any thoughts on Frazier or or anyone else maybe that was, was DFA'd? Yeah, um, I, I like Clint Frazier, and I just don't think New York was a great fit for him. Um, I think he's a perfect change of scenery type player. The question becomes, okay, if another team's going to trade for him now that he's been DFA'd or, or is he going to make it and go through waivers, which he would be selected or claimed before he got to the Reds. I mean, that's the perfect, all of these teams that are, you know, bad or looking for players like a Clint Frazier as the perfect bounce back type player only 26 years old has hit well in the past. Like I think getting Clint Frazier on the reds, if that was the the situation, um, it kind of depends on what the reds want to do, because if, if we are talking, Hey, the reds want to compete and be better in 2022, then personally, I just have higher hopes for an outfielder than Clint Frazier. Not that I don't think he's good. I'm just saying there's, too many holes on this roster to, to make Clint Frazier your bounce back candidate type fill in or, you know, replacement for Castellano. So um, if the Reds are just kind of wanting to see what he is, use him as a fourth outfielder, that's fine. But if the Reds are saying, yeah, he's going to be our right fielder going forward and we're just going to see how that goes for the next year or so. Um Man, that would be hard to convince me that they're going to be in compete mode then. Um, but, I mean, I could be very wrong about that too. Yeah, if they picked him up, I don't think it would be for a starting role. Yeah. I mean, even the fourth defender might be a little high because I feel like Naquin probably has got that one. I feel like he'd be the exact lot. same thing as picking up Tyler Naquin. Yeah. Like, like. Well, the question, we... okay, so then would they not bring back Naquin? Yeah. What – I want to get Bryce's thoughts. So sorry, I'm not trying to jump on you, Bryce, but I would think if you get Frazier, it pretty much Castellanos is 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 not going to happen because I don't I, Jesse Winker, Clint Frazier, and uh, Nick Castellanos. That's uh, some defensive challenges. Um, I think you could get Frazier and maybe look at a center fielder, and and that could be a good like two player pickup like a legit center fielder that can play defense. Um, not a Tyler Naquin, who's, who can, who's a center, who can play center field, play decent, but isn't going to give you any sort of value and is going to have some negative value attached to it. But man, I think it's a Barrero spot, baby. But I'm telling you what, you, you will get a center fielder, you know, 
maybe not Starling Marte, although we love Starling Marte. I don't know. You trade for a Byron Buxton. You make some other, you make a trade or something. You get a legit center fielder. And then you have just Winker, Frazier, Naquin, Senzel, just kind of to fill those other spots. And then, and then one of them can, you know, Winker could DH maybe. Um, Cause at some point, like we're saying, we're all saying, okay, well, well, Moose or, or Suarez is going to DH. Okay, great. But in order for Moustakis or Suarez to DH, Vado, India, Suarez, Moustakis, and Winker pretty much all have to be like healthy at the same time. And that's not going to happen. Like one of those guys is always going to be hurt. So there's going to be like a spot for the DH, I think. So uh, I think I think that would you know be something that that would make a lot of sense to me. Bryce, what's your your take on on Frazier? I don't know if there's anyone else that you saw that was DFA that you thought was interesting. No, I didn't see too many too many people. Obviously, if they hit the DFA, they're usually usually not not in the best shape in their career. But um, if Frazier, in my opinion, he's the type of guy that you all kind of talked about. He he's been a good hitter in the past, like you said. He was he's similar to Winker, and in, in terms of he's he's always been able to really hit and. They were just trying to find him a spot to play, and and last year in the COVID shortened season, I think he OPS over 900. He was hit third or fourth. He's a lot of the year. Like he was legitimate. Like he, the type of guy that was living up to the hype. So you can never have enough good hitters, as you were talking about. If you go out and pick up a, a good center fielder and kind of pair him along with Naquin and, and Winker and and those guys, then you're looking at a, a, a plausible outfield. But it's a matter of of if they do pick them up, are they done kind of shopping there? So um, I'm kind of indifferent on it. If they pick them up, I'm, I'll be excited about it and kind of see where he, where he can go, but also don't want them to stop trying to improve their outfield or their team over yeah. him. I think it would make sense either direction they're going. I mean, even if, even if they aren't really going to do anything more and I mean, still a good asset to have and, you know, trade Kennedy be a player you'd still have, I think control it for several years. So I think it'd be a good, you know, buy low, but again, there's probably a lot of other teams that are going to be interested also. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I definitely, I would be surprised if the Reds aren't interested. Um, will they pick him up? I don't know, but I'd be surprised if, if they're not interested. Just because he's what positions does he play? He'd be a definitely a corner outfielder. Um, and he's not a good, he, I mean, he's, he's pretty much, the right-handed Jesse Winker maybe has a little better foot speed, but he's a yeah, he played on mostly left field when yeah. he when he was with the Yankees. But the Yankees have Aaron Judge, so you know, like I think he could play right field. There's just you know you're not gonna play over Judge or Stanton, um, but cool. yeah, interesting. So the rest of the off season here, as we're kind of whittling towards the. December 2nd CBA expiring uh it's all gonna so we're, we're down to about the final week next week we'll be on the eve as we do our show the eve before uh uh the, the likely as we we hear lockout will happen um the non-tender deadline is right before that so there's going to be a whole lot of other Clint Frazier's out there but they're also probably you know um not going to be any action right after their their DFA. 
but there is there is typically a lot of, uh, of a flurry before that of teams trying to make trades before they have to non-tender someone. Um, trying to think of a good example of of this. Uh, Claire Bryser, Carlos, anyone got a good example of a of a trade that was right before someone was DFA'd? Got time. me, buddy. <laughs> but trust me, there's a lot of there's a lot of 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 action a lot of a lot of teams trying to make deals right up until the deadline. like chris heisey was one that was traded right before uh right before the non-tender deadline because the rest of we're gonna have to non-tender him um and so they made a trade and got not much back but 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 that so uh be interesting to see if we we see any action before that and then we're gonna go assuming into to a lockout um do you guys have any any thoughts on on the lockout? Anything you're hearing that that you you find interesting? Kind of as we we head to this this uh, this deadline. One of the locked on podcasts I was listening to, and I don't remember which one it was, was talking about the lockout, and they made a good point of some of the verbiage. And I'm not going to direct quote because I don't really remember, but um, Manfred used a different term than lockout that it was like work stoppage or I don't know. It wasn't even that it was something that kind of made it sound like it was not going to last through this, like in, into the season. And they kind of talked about that and um, made some good points of, you know, maybe they aren't all that far off and there's no way to tell. There's really no way to tell and nobody knows. So anyone who's, acting like they do. They just simply don't. All of us assume that it's going to be a lockout because all of us assume that these people don't work well together and that Manfred sucks. That's just kind of the assumption going around baseball fan bases. So, um, but that does not mean that they're far off. Each, each side has bargaining chips that they want to use, right? Um, the players want to DH. That's why it didn't happen this year after 2020, because, the MLB wanted to kind of hold that back to use as a negotiation tool. Okay. Well, if you all want this, you know, we want this and we'll give you all the DH, you know what I mean? So um, maybe they aren't all that far off. These players are going to want to play. They're going to want to make money. Um, I spent probably too much time today reading the CBA that just expired, which is 372 pages. And I did not read it all, but um, the amount of detail, (laughs) the amount of detail in there, I'm so glad that I'm not a lawyer who has to read that type of stuff because, I mean, it talked about like exact situations of a player's on a road trip and gets released, what they get paid for, for their like transportation and meal back home and everything like it, the details unreal. So no, it's probably not going to happen overnight. Um, but I, I don't know why I just have a gut feeling that we will be playing baseball on opening day as scheduled. If we aren't playing baseball on opening day as scheduled, shame on everyone. I don't care. Owner players, you all suck. Like, yeah, yeah shame after, on after, Nick Kirby too. After, yeah, shame on me too. Everyone sucks. I mean, after 2020, I mean, figure yeah, it out. That's I don't care. Like the who... whole point, like what I've said in the past is neither side wants that to happen. You can't, we can't afford to lose fans right now. You know, as much as both sides are losing money, um, the players don't want to lose any more money. They don't want to hold off. You know, guys that are already making the big money, <clears throat> they want that guaranteed money. They don't want to have to 
give up 60% of that or 40% of that, 35% of that again, which they just did two years ago. So, and, and, you know, the owners know that they want, they need, they need to get the product out on the field. So I think both guys are going to be pretty eager and not eager. And I don't think it's going to come close to um, the season delaying the season at all. Yeah. No, no one, no one will look good. Um, yeah. And, and I did hear that they could have a, instead of the international free agent, it could turn to a draft, which would probably be best for everybody. Um, just considering that, you know, oftentimes those top free agents go to contenders or, you know, not always contenders, but I just think a draft would be a little bit easier there as well. So that that's something that could be interesting, a little bit um, easier on some, some of the Baltimores of the world. I'm picking like, on Baltimore today. I don't know. You are. That's you the second time I've kind of like shit on Baltimore. Baltimore? I'm like, what did I miss? Like, can we get an audio book of you reading the entire manual? <laughs> I wish I you all like you printed me reading out, the like, CBA old, today. Like those super old like printers where you have to like pull off the tabs from the sides. I literally was just like, okay, I'm going to flip through the CBA. Next thing you know, I'm like 42 pages in. I've read every single word, and I was like, what the hell am I doing? I'm supposed to be working right now. You're so like then the I just guy. started skimming, and it's amazing what's. Like all, do you know what's really funny? And I'm not blaming anyone. I was the same way. I was always like, "Oh wow, all this stuff." Like we don't know. No one knows what you know these players make or how this works. Or like I could have just read the CBA. All the information to all these like unanswerable questions that we've all had across Twitter about minor leaguers making money or who pays for what, and it's all right there in front of us. Clay is going to be citing us here in the next couple of months. All you got to do is go to <laughs> section three, chapter eight, paragraph four. Carlos, when Guys, you play, it's did right you know here playing about a CBA. <laughs> I take that as a no. What'd you say? I said, when you played, did you know anything about the CBA? Yeah. You or your like, agent knew? I, I knew. Like they, they would inform us, they send you like emails and on what's going on. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just like picturing you just reading the CBA and being like, "Hey, I'm supposed to have forty bucks today for this road trip." Like, <laughs> I didn't get it. No, you all, you know all the good stuff. Everybody tells you all the good stuff that you need to know, but any other like in negotiations and stuff, then they'll send out an email. So one last last thing, uh, kind of on the the off season calendar, kind of as we we get to this this last week. I don't know. I kind of feel like the clock is ticking here on if the Reds are going to trade anyone because if we do get a lockout, which I think we're going to get a lockout of some sort. I don't, you know, know how long it's going to last. I'd be surprised if it lasts into spring training. Uh, I know that the the owners and the GMs are, are going to want it to end because they're not going to want to be rushed to make decisions, you know, within a small period before before they have to jump right into spring training as there's still going to be a lot of free agents and trades and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of feel like it's almost like we're running out the clock on like a Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, whoever else trade. Um, I feel like if they're going to be dealt, they're probably going to be dealt before December 2nd. And, you know, I also think we're going to see a – it seems like the stove's really been heating up the last couple of days. I think this next week might really, really get 
get get insane with some of the deals that are made. So I don't know. Maybe there's nothing. We'll come back next week and we'll have nothing to talk about, or or maybe we, uh, we'll have a three or four emergency podcasts this week. Who knows? So we'll 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 see how it plays Who out. Knows. Who knows? Any other yeah. thoughts, kind of on the? Yeah, and if anyone out there is thinking the Reds are being lazy, they're not making their trades. Like no one in the MLB is trading much right now, or anyone significantly. We all know that there's going to be trades that happen. So if no one's doing it, there's obviously a reason why. Um, in terms of the stove heating up, for sure, like at 5 o'clock today, there was several signings. Aaron Loop signed. Um, who else? There, there, there's like three or four all within like a 30-minute span. Uh, Steven Matz is pro- probably going to sign by Wednesday. Um Alex Cobb as well. Like it's starting to heat up and I don't know why, like what triggers this timing or, you know, why it all kind of happens at once or if it just kind of gets announced at once or what. But um, yeah, I don't think the Reds are being lazy by not, you know, have not, you know, they haven't traded anybody yet. So, um, but I do think the Reds will make a significant trade this off season in one direction or another. Which isn't like a hot take. That's not really saying much, but um, I think Sonny Gray is the perfect candidate for the secondary uh, starting pitcher market. If those top guys that I mentioned earlier, if they all get signed and you're, you know, a starting, you know, let let's say the Twins decide they're not going to tear it down, and it's their last year with Buxton, maybe, and Donaldson's getting older, and Snow's getting older, you know, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Okay, well, we don't have to spend the whole bank. We can go get Sonny Gray or the Mariners or another team that's going to need a starting pitcher. Um, Where does Stroman go? Wherever he doesn't go, you know, okay, well, Sonny Gray is going to be in that second wave, I think, and you're going to hear his name a lot. 10 million, 12 million option for the year after. Um, Very attractive piece to teams that are just either looking to get that you know, really good teams that need a fourth. Some teams maybe view him as a third still. And if I'm the Reds, I do it, honestly, depending on the return, obviously. But if it's a if it's a trade that's, you know, re- reasonable for the Reds and it makes them better in the next couple of years, um, I do it just because I think I like Sonny Gray. I think he's still a good pitcher. But there's nothing wrong with getting kind of out of, in front of that um, and, and kind of moving off that contract, especially because I don't think the farm system is super deep, except for a starting pitcher where they're, they're the deepest in the farm system. I don't think the Reds trade any any other major pieces away. I think they're I think they're done. I think they're going to spend fifteen to twenty million more, whether that's Castellanos or something else. And I think the payroll is going to be over one hundred twenty million, like it's been each of the last three years. Uh, but I don't know. That's my my take. We'll see. Uh, Bryce, I wanted before we before we got out of here, I, I, I know you had a player that you liked that went unprotected. Uh, tell me about the, the player that, that you liked that went unprotected in the, the Rule 5 draft coming up. Lucan Baker. Some of you may remember him from TCU at the College World Series. He hit the farthest home run. I was there in person, and he hit. The scoreboard is like, Probably a good 35 feet behind the left field seats, and he hit it on the scoreboard. It was the most unbelievable pitch and hit I've ever seen live, and I've watched a lot of baseball. So um, he hit 
24 home runs in double A last year, 20 doubles, right-handed stick. He doesn't really have a position. He's like first base, DH, possibly some third. Um, so he's a guy that if he, if he starts the year in triple A, maybe. Uh, I was kind of surprised St. Louis didn't protect him. He kind of reminds me of like a Voight type um, to where like maybe they think that, oh, Goldie's not going anywhere. I get that. But he's the type of guy that, I mean, if he can come in and, and kind of adapt to a good bench role and, and a guy that pinch hits and spot starts for Joey at times and spot starts at DH or if, if that does come. So, I mean, he's hit, hit 44 extra base hits in like 89 games last year. Like, guy can really hit. He OPS like 850 in a, in a pretty good pitcher's park in, in Memphis. So, um, definitely this kind of a head scratcher. Uh, I was always high on him after after I watched him in college. So somebody that I think that the Reds might take a chance on there. Nice. He might go sooner though. He could go probably top five in the rule five, honestly. Nice. I like it. Fellas, any other thoughts before we uh, wrap this up for the evening? Nope. All right. Well, thanks as always for listening to late night Reds Talk Live, part of the Believe Podcast Network, sponsored by our friends at Bet Online. Uh, we will be back next week, nine o'clock on Monday, uh, on the eve of the CBA expiring. Hopefully, uh, a lot of interesting Reds news to talk about. Uh, if there's any big anything big that happens, we'll we'll always, as always, try to do an emergency show. Uh, if you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever uh, you get your podcast right now, go find it. Subscribe, leave us a five-star review. If you don't like, think we're worth five stars, don't leave a review. No one likes that. Don't be that guy or girl. Um, <laughs> so as always, thank you so much for, for joining. Thanks for all the questions, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys next week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube